Hey everyone, this is your host, DJ Moultrie, for How to Acquire Podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome, 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 welcome. We have an exciting show for you today. On today's episode, we're going to learn something from a different perspective. If you have ever uh, owned your own business or acquired your own business, you want to listen to this, especially if you're a business owner right now. If you are a business owner right now, you need to know how to properly exit your business. And our guest today is a subject matter expert on this topic. I'm going to introduce uh, our guest today in one moment. But before we do that, uh, if this is your first time here, make sure that you share this link to every business owner that you know. This is a special conversation. Everyone who's a business owner needs to know how to properly exit their business. If you have friends in the private equity space who are acquiring businesses, or if you know anyone who's acquiring businesses, I want them to hear this episode. So share this over to them and then sit back and let's listen together as we learn how to properly exit our business. Once again, I'm DJ Motri for How to Acquire Podcast, and let's tune in now to this episode. We are back for another great episode of How to Acquire Podcast. Our mission on this podcast is to speak with uh, uh, professionals in the mergers and acquisition space, learn about uh, what are they acquiring, what are they looking for, whether it be in business, whether it be in real estate, and really get a deeper dive into how they got into the space and then also why they're choosing this particular asset classes. Uh, and some of the strategies that they're finding along the way. Uh, joining me today is uh, one of the experts in the mergers and acquisition space, Michelle Siler-Tucker of Siler-Tucker Incorporated. Welcome to How to Acquire Podcast. Thank you, DJ. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited for this. I know we're going to get into an upcoming uh, launch of your book, Exit Rich, and I definitely want to learn more about your book and some of the nuggets uh, that are inside your book. But before we do that, I want our audience to uh, learn a little bit more about you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the mergers and acquisition space. Sure. So I've always, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been interested in business. I never really wanted to work for anybody. <laughs> and, you know, I always had two passions, people and writing. So I've always been interested in people. In fact, when I was a little girl, I would never play with toys or dolls or anything like that. I would walk around with a notebook and ask everybody a thousand questions. I would just walk up to strangers and start asking them questions. And my mom's okay. like, oh, she's going to be the next Barbara Walters or she's going to be the next Oprah Winfrey, you know? Sorry to disappoint mom, but. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I've always been interested in people. And then I became interested in business and I've owned lots of different businesses from, um, you know, publishing companies to, to event businesses, to franchise development businesses, et cetera. Um, there was a point where I kind of got sucked into corporate America. Xerox recruited me. And um, within six months, my nickname became the closer. So anytime somebody couldn't close a deal, they would call me. They're like, get the closer, get the closer, get the closer. And then my manager came to me within six months and said, listen, you need to apply for the vice president regional position. She says, you're not going to get it, but you mm. should apply because of the experience and you will learn so much through this journey. Right. And I said, well, gosh, why would I ever apply for something I'm never going to get? It sounds like a colossal right. waste of time. Right. And she's like, no, Michelle, you're going to learn so much. So I said, okay, I'll do it. It was a three-month process. I was up against people who had been there for five years, 10 years, 15, and I'd only been there for six months. And Xerox never promotes. They always promote from within. And you have to be there at least two years. So they let me throw my name in a hat. Anyway, um, it was a three-month grueling process. We had to do Q&As and presentations and demonstrations of Xerox equipment in front of all these high-level executives all around the country. So I ended up getting it. Wow. Even though they told me I won it. So I guess I truly hey, am the closer. <laughs> <laughs> I dated you my husband close. for 11 years and we're married. So I guess I really am the closer. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. 
So, but then what happened was, you know, a lot of companies do that, DJ. They'll take their best salesperson and promote them in the management. Not smart. Leave yourselves, your top salesperson, where they are. Right. So anyway, I didn't like it. I didn't like anything about it because when you're a high-level executive like that in a Fortune 500 company, you're having meetings to have meetings to set up more meetings to have more meetings. So anyway, I just didn't like it. I wasn't selling anymore. I wasn't meeting with my clients. I wasn't building lifelong relationships. I wasn't solving problems. You know, I was managing 85 unruly sales reps is what I was doing. So I ended up looking for, but I was going to keep my position because I was making six figures, great benefits. And I was really on the fast track at Xerox. I could have went really high up in a corporation. But I told my husband, I said, I really want to buy something like a franchise or something because I miss my entrepreneurial, you know, I miss that. Right. It's in my blood. <laughs> so anyway, I said, what can I acquire? And so mm. we started looking and I found a franchise that had two locations and my husband actually knew the owner. And so we met with them and I said, yeah, I'd like to buy a franchise, but I'm going to operate from the side because I'm going to keep my position. And they said, no, Michelle, we know of you. We know of your reputation. We know you're the closer because I'm in New Orleans. It's not that big. Right. And so they said, if you if you partner with us, we want you to become a partner and we'll give you a franchise. Wow. And I said, well, that sounds like a great deal, but you're an unknown and you're not successful. (laughs) Right. So I don't know if I want to leave my Fortune 500 company over here to partner with a franchise over here that has two locations. I said, but I'll tell you what I'll do because you don't have to say yes or no. You can say, let me do both, right? It doesn't always have to be yes or no. It can be maybe, let me let me try both. And that's what I did. So I said, for six months, I'll, I'll work with you, but I'm going to keep my day job. So I, I flew all around the country on weekends. I was working my buns off. And I was, you know, doing events, going to franchise shows, all this stuff. Anyway, I ended up selling more businesses, franchises in those six months than I made an entire year at Xerox. So I made so much more money. Like I doubled what I was making at Xerox in six months. So then I I, I resigned Xerox. I went ahead and jumped in, became a partner. Um, They gave me a franchise. And then what happened was I was selling so many franchises that they couldn't keep up. And they were over-promising and under-delivering. And I realized very quickly that our values are different. You know, operate from this set of values, they operate from this set. So I had a lot of upset franchisees and these franchisees are now my friends. I was going to their weddings. I was going to the hospital bed when I had babies and going to birthday parties and staying at their homes when I came into town. So I was on the franchisee side. franchisor my partner's very upset with me because they're like you should be on our side i'm like no i should be on the client side the client invested their money for what you promised you need to deliver so right. anyway it got really bad and i'm like i'm not selling anymore until you fix your problem i'm not selling until we fix it so what they didn't do dj is they did they do they did what most companies do they get so excited about marketing and sell 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 that they never build the foundation to handle the growth So they never built that solid foundation. So I ended up saying, buy me out. And um, anyway, so I ended up leaving them, being bought out. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? (laughs) And I said, you know what? Because I was doing franchise sales, franchise consulting, franchise development. I said, why don't I just transition to selling companies? How hard can it be? (laughs) Because lots of buyers come to me and say, I don't want to buy a franchise, but I want to buy an existing business. Right. Like, okay, well, how hard can that be? It's a lot harder. There's a lot more moving points to selling, selling a business and selling a uh, new franchise. So anyway, okay. I transitioned selling small businesses at first, very quickly transi- transitioned and selling larger companies, 10 million and up. And then, you know, I learned very quickly too, like Steve Forbes says, eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. Steve Forbes has also ind- endorsed my book, Exit Rich. And so I said, gosh, if I want to eat, <laughs> if I don't want to starve to death, I got to start fixing these businesses. So that's why I really, so now my core competencies is buying, fixing, selling, growing. So I'll buy businesses like you buy real estate and flip it. Or I'll partner with a business owner, like a, a company will call me and they're not sellable, but I really like the owners. I like the business. They service a niche. I think I can add value. Then I'll invest my money, resources, experience, expertise, and I will put them on the build to sell program where we sell that business in three to five years for their desired price tag. Beautiful. And we've sold over a thousand companies. Wow. So you're saying, but you're saying that this is a very difficult process, but somehow you've been able to 
master it or at least have some type of holding where you're able to really have a system in place to get this right. accomplished. Well, I've been in this industry 20 years mm-hmm. and, you know, I've, I've made my mistakes along the way. <laughs> I am a mass, I'm a mergers and acquisitions master and intermediary. There's only three women with that title in the U S mm-hmm. because that's not a college course you can take or a test you can take. You only get those titles by doing certain transactions. Okay. And so, but yeah, so, you know, we all, learn from failures right um but yeah so because i own businesses too like any given time i own five to ten different businesses i really know what it's like to be a seller and be on the other end of it and know you know what a seller is going through when they're thinking about exiting their business or because i bought businesses i know what buyers are thinking so i think you you may be the perfect person to ask this question there's a lot of business owners who are listening to this call before they had a chance to meet you or had a, a chance to come across your information, what are most sellers of companies doing wrong? What, where, where is the, the commonality of a, of, of a mistake that a lot of business owners are making when they're looking to sell their business? So there's a lot. Um, and, you know, we don't have time on this show to go through them all. <laughs> but, <laughs> but number one, number one is business owners don't plan their exit from day one of starting or buying a business. Plan your exit from day one. And I know it sounds crazy because entrepreneurs are like, what do you mean plan my exit? You know, I, I'm focused on my business plan and working capital and these and this and this. And there's so many things that business owners have to focus on. But if you build a business from the beginning, as if you're going to sell it, it will be sellable. But mm. business owners don't think about that. A lot of business owners think they're gonna stay in it forever or they think they're going to transfer it to their children. And I, I got news for you. I've been in this industry 20 years. The children don't want y'all's business anymore. <laughs> they want to go out there and create their own masterpiece. They don't want your business. <laughs> so leaving it behind, you know, generation, gener- uh, leaving your legacy behind to your children is not as popular, popular as it once was. So not planning to exit is number one mistake. The other big mistake, is not building a business that buyers want to buy and not building a business that buyers want to buy. Those are the two big issues. And I have like lots more, but. (laughs) Let's look at, let's look at those two for a second. Okay. So let's start with plan your exit from day one. Like you were saying, a lot of business owners are thinking they're going to hold on to it, potentially be part of succession plan, give it to their kids. What does, planning your exit from day one even look like what is how does that process begin so an exit rich one of my first chapters is called the stgps exit model st stands for solid tucker because i've mapped this out over the last (laughs) 20 years in the trenches that's right but the, the gps exit model is like this when you want to drive somewhere what do you do dj you pull out your phone you plug mm-hmm. in your destination, right? Correct. You plug in your destination. You're telling your GPS where you want to go. Same thing in business. You need a destination. So you need a you need an end game. You need a desired sales price. So if you've been in business, so let's say you're starting a business or you've been in business a year or two, you need an end game. So let's say you say, oh, I want to sell my business for $10 million. That's my number, $10 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now what does the GPS need to know? It needs to know your current location. Where are you starting from? Right. So many business owners don't have any idea what their business is worth. I will tell you, DJ, we all get, you know, health checkups, right? Once a year. Yes. Most of us. Yeah. We right. get our car checked up and tuned up. But we never get a business checkup and a business tune up to see what our business is worth. Many business owners have been in business sure. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years have never had a business evaluation. That is financial mm. insanity. You need to know what your business is worth every year because there are events that can increase your business worth and there are events that can decrease your business worth. COVID is a perfect example. You know, right. restaurants, COVID has decreased what their business is worth. Um, manufacturing, especially a PPE, has increased to what their business right. is worth. So you always want to know every year what your business is worth. So you start from my end game. What is my desired price? Now you need to know my current location, my evaluation, what my business is worth today. So let's say you want to sell for 10 million and your business is worth 2 million, 
Okay. Right. Now right. you need to know time frame. Time frame. So let's say you want to sell in five years. You're worth two million. You want to sell for ten million in five years. Now you need to know who's my buyers going to be. Not buyer buyers because so many business owners make the mistake of saying well i got a buyer and right. i can guarantee you that buyer is going to fall apart and you have no backup buyers you should never put all your eggs in one buyer's basket you always need backup buyers so then you need to say okay i want to sell for 10 million dollars i'm worth two million five years who's my buyers going to be there's five different types of buyers let me tell you who your buyers are not going to be a first-time buyer, in all likelihood, is not going to be your buyer because they cannot afford a $10 million business. Right. Right? A turnaround specialist is not going to be your buyer because they buy distressed assets. They don't pay $10 million. <laughs> okay. Right. So your buyers are going to be a PEG, which is a private equity group, a strategic slash competitor, or maybe a, a turnaround uh, I mean, I'm sorry, or maybe a sophisticated serial entrepreneur. Those three category of buyers will be your buyer. Now you need to know, well, what is their financial criteria? If they're going to pay $10 million, where does the gross revenues need to be? Where does the gross profit margins need to be? Most importantly, what does the EBITDA need to be? Where does the EBITDA need to be? EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, appreciation, and amortization. If you want to sell a business for $10 million, your EBITDA it's going to have to be around $2 million. Right. Okay? So now you have to figure out, well, what characteristics do they look at? What synergies do they buy? What would make them pay more money for my business? So then you got to look at what I call the six P's, the Siler Tucker six P's, which is also explained in Exit Rich. And this is what buyers buy. So when buyers are buying businesses, they look at the EBITDA, most importantly, because they're going to evaluate the business based on the EBITDA. But they also evaluate the business based on synergies. And the synergies mm. are found in the six P's. Understood. Okay. Wow. Well, you just you threw a lot at me here. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You did the right thing. So what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong. What I'm hearing is the buyer, I'm sorry, the seller needs to put uh, the shoes on of the buyer and think about what it is that they would need, that what they would want for yeah. this business. And a lot of times what sellers are doing is only thinking about themselves. Sellers always only think about themselves. <laughs> Sellers will come to me and say, Michelle, I want to sell for $20 million. I'm like, great, let's do a valuation. And our EBITDA is 100000 <laughs> You're not going to get $20 million for 100000 in the EBITDA. So I always tell the sellers, step into the buyer's shoes and do what I yes. call the buyer's sanity check. And yes. then I always tell the buyers, step in the seller's shoes and look at the seller's sanity check. So it's on both ends. But I always okay. you know, turn around and buy on the seller and say, listen to me. Would you pay $20 million for your company to make a right. hundred grand a year. <laughs> right. And then Great they're like, point. no. And I'll, you know, I always ask them, well, how'd you come up with that number? And I go, well, Michelle, that's what I need to retire on. Or that's when I need to put five girls through college or pay for five girls weddings or, you know, buy another business. But the buyer doesn't care what you need. The buyer cares what the value is to them and how it's going to um, catapult their business to the next level, you know, and even on a small side, on, even on a small scale DJ, let's say that you have an acquire on the phone listen, listening right now and they want to buy a restaurant for $300,000. It doesn't have to be a $10 million company. You still want to make sure you look at the EBITDA. You still want to make sure that the value makes sense and you still want to make sure that the synergies are there and that the business operates on the six P's regardless what the size of the sizes, sizes of the business. Definitely. Now, you mentioned earlier about building a business that a buyer wants. Before we get there, before we get there, because I do want to learn about that as well as one of the uh, biggest mistakes that uh, people are, are making when they're selling their business. You mentioned this idea of getting a business evaluation uh, regularly. Yeah. Why do you think a lot of sellers or a lot of companies are afraid of or why they're not getting a business evaluation currently. Why, yeah, why, why are they uh, skeptical about that? 
Yeah, I don't know if they're skeptical. I think it's kind of out of out of sight, out of mind. They don't really think about it, just like they don't think about their exit. Most mm-hmm. business owners never think about selling until they have to due to a catastrophic event occurring, okay. like a okay. health issue, divorce, partner dispute, death, COVID. You know how many people are trying to sell right now because of COVID? So that's the worst time to sell. The best time to sell is when your business is doing well. So it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You're not really thinking about it because they're not thinking about their exit. Right. And then they don't really, they don't, they might not want to spend the money, which makes no sense because it's not that expensive to get your business a value. I mean, the way we work with our clients is we charge a fee um, to evaluate their business. And then we do it again for them within the same year free. (laughs) So it's just really more out of sight, out of mind that they're not thinking about the exit. Therefore, they're not thinking about the valuation. Got you. Okay. So now we lead to uh, what what you said is one of the other big mistakes uh, that people are making uh, when it comes to selling your business is they may not be building a business that a buyer wants. What does that mean? What type of, how do you build a business that a buyer may want? Yeah. So I'm going to answer that by answering that by telling you what the six p's are okay so buyers and myself look at what we call the six p's when i go in to look at buying a business partnering with a business owner or selling a business or merging businesses together i look at the six p's and so do buyers okay so let's talk about how to build a business that buyers want first of all buyers want to buy a business dj not a job Mm. can you say that one more time Buyers, <laughs> buyers want to buy a business, not a job. Nice. I buyers like that. want to buy a business, not a job. What does that mean to you? So what that means to me and what it needs to mean to all of y'all. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we need to build a sustainable business that runs without us. So yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs are like, well, if you want it done right, I got to do it myself. Mm. You know, and a lot of entrepreneurs are control freaks in order yes. to grow. In order to grow, DJ, you have to let go of control. So the first P is people. You have to create a business that works for you rather than you working for it. Buyers will not buy a business if that business is dependent upon the owner. If you have a hair salon and you're the main hairstylist and 80% of the revenue comes from your efforts and you sell, 80% of that revenue is out the door. Mm. If you're a dentist and you're the only dentist and you have dental hygienist and we go to sell your business and you want to leave, there is no business. Same thing if you're a chiropractor, if you're an attorney, there are so many businesses that are based upon that owner. And if you pluck that owner out of the business, there is no business anymore. So the first way to build a business that a buyer wants is to actually create a business for people. You don't build a business, DJ. You build people and people build the business. So Mm. you got to have the right people in the right seat. And DJ, you have to answer the most important question. Who? Who opens the doors? Who deals with customers? Who deals with accounting? Who deals with logistics? Who deals with environmental? Who deals with legal? Who deals with um, manufacturing? You know, the list goes on and on and on. The clue, G- DJ, is you should never be next to the who. <laughs> mm-hmm. You should never be next to the who because you want to build a business that runs without you. And if you're the who in your business, the business won't run without you. Beautifully said. So I people love- is very important. And the reason why I base it on the six P's is because if you build the business on operating all six cylinders, I know men like cars, mm-hmm. <laughs> not all six cylinders, right. Right. I call all six Bs, then your engine will run smoothly and it will attract a lot more buyers. Okay. So people's number one. I love what you said about, about people. You build people and the people build the business. Correct. So many entrepreneurs and you got to DJ, you got to, everybody has to focus on their strengths right. and hire their weaknesses and no entrepreneur can do it all. And if you can, you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow, you know? So you got to hire people that are smarter than you in areas that are not your core competencies. Especially, this is just a, a quick side note, especially if you're trying to uh, build a portfolio and own multiple businesses, you can't be stuck doing the one business your entire life. 
I own multiple businesses. Yeah, I own multiple businesses and there's no way that I am running every single one of these businesses, but I have meetings, I have KPIs, you know, I have benchmarks that I look at to manage each one of my companies. I love it. And And so so, what is the second P? I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) So the second P is this, and this is again, build a business that buyers want to buy. The second P is product. Okay. Now product is huge. And let me explain why product is so big. Product is your industry, right? So you have to ask yourself, TJ, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? Great question. And industries before COVID, there are lots of industries before COVID that were dying and now they're thriving. Landscape, construction, um, e-commerce stuff, you know, at-home fitness. I mean, can I name a whole bunch of them. But there are industries that are dying since COVID, restaurants, hotels, you know, airlines. So many industries are dying now, theme parks. So you got to ask yourself, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? And there's always lots of things that can change if your industry is on the way up or on the way out. So you always got to stay on top of it. And if your industry is on the way out, you have to ask yourself three transformational questions. And you should always ask yourself these questions anyway. Number one, you got to ask yourself, what business am I in? What do I do really, really well? What business should I be in? Let me give you an example to illustrate this further. Amazon. Amazon asked these three questions at the beginning of their career. They asked themselves, what business are we in? They said, oh, we're booksellers. We're in a bookselling business. What do we do really, really well? We do fulfillment really, really well. What business should we be in? We should be in fulfillment for every product, not just books. Those three transformational questions is what transformed Amazon to a small book selling company to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So ask those three questions as it relates to product. I love that. that. Yeah, that makes perfect. Business owners are transactional. Mm-hmm. You really got to become transformational because your business will not transform or grow unless you ask these transformational questions and really spend some time thinking about this and maybe even aligning yourself with an expert who's done it and who can help you see things more clearly because when you're in your fog, it's foggy. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. Uh, have you found that a lot of business owners uh, don't have the time to ask themselves these questions or don't even know to ask themselves these questions? They don't know that to ask themselves these questions. They don't have the time because when you're in the middle of the chaos, mm-hmm. it's chaotic. You can't right. see the forest through the trees. When you're in your pocket's foggy, you know, I always, see, I always say that it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. You need an yeah. insider's pers- an outsider, outsider's perspective to help you read the warning signs that keep you out of the danger zone. I love that. And so, that's so my far, quote, by the way. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's your quote. My, yeah. I, I was gonna, I was gonna use it, but I don't want to. You can use it. it just give MST credit, Michelle Seller Tucker. MST credit. <laughs> I will do. Uh, so, so far we have people, product. What else are some of the other? Uh, so P's? number three, and this is the the third P that's the most overlooked. Okay. Processes. You cannot build a sustainable, scalable, sellable business without processes. And DJ, most business owners never think about processes until something bad happens in their company. Like let's say somebody gets hurt on the manufacturing floor. Oh no, we need a process for health and safety. No, you should have already figured that out and had a process for that in the beginning. Or let's say a customer complains and goes, writes a bad review on Google. Oh, we need a process for customer complaints. No, you should have already had a a process. So processes should be designed from the beginning of acquiring your business or starting a business. And it should be designed with the customer experience in mind. Let me give you a quick example. Sure. The McDonald brothers, you know, you've eaten at McDonald's, right? We all have McDonald's french fries. Have you ever watched the movie, The Founder? No, I have not. You got to watch that movie. Will do. Every one of your listeners should go watch The Founder. And no, I don't get any money off of it. (laughs) But what I love about McDonald's, so back in the 40s, they had the the drive-up restaurants like a Sonic where Mm -hmm. the waiters and waitresses would come out on roller skates. The problem back in the 40s is the order was always wrong, the food was always cold, and it took too long. 
So McDonald Brothers said, we're going to start a franchise. We're going to start a fast food restaurant. And we're going to call it McDonald's because that's their last name. And we are going to design our processes around our customer experience. What is our mission? What is our vision? What do we want our customer experience to be? And I said, we want our customer experience to be that they're getting great tasting food. It's hot. And they're getting it quick, two minutes or less. Right. So they took all their employees out to an empty tennis court. They took chalk and they mapped it out on the tennis court, you know, what the processes should be. They spent all day doing this, moving everything around, till they finally figured out who takes the order, who toasts the buns, who cooks the hamburgers, who puts the pickles on the buns, who gets it to the client two minutes or less. Those processes right there is why you can eat at a McDonald's in Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, USA. You know, I was in Johannesburg and ate at McDonald's and it tasted the same. Everything was the same. The experience was the same because of processes. So they need to be, your processes need to be designed with the customer experience in mind, efficient, productive. And you're saying that that needs to be done at the very start of the business or when you acquire the business. So it needs to be proactive and not reactive. That's right. And DJ, you'll tweak your processes as you go because as things change, like right now, you know, everybody that has people working from home, they definitely had to change their processes. They had to put together a process of how to work from home. But you really need to, to start your processes and always be on top of your processes and make sure that they're well documented, that you have a policy and procedure manual, that you have SOP checklist, standard, standard operating procedure checklist, and then your employees are trained on such. I found it interesting as we're, we're hinting at COVID. I, did, I have found it interesting that for a long time, corporations would say, you cannot work from home. It's forbidden. And then now all of a sudden, oh, of course, of course you can work work from home. I found that very (laughs) interesting that when the money was slowing up or when things weren't going the way they wanted to, that process had to change. Yeah. Well, they had to pivot. (laughs) There's another P for you. So the fourth P and the biggest value driver, which will get you the highest multiple of EBITDA and get you the highest price for your business is called proprietary. Mm. These are where the synergies are. So buyers, so what we've been talking about so far is buyers will pay a lot of money if you have a good team in place. I've had buyers pay more money because they wanted that certain operating team or I saw an advertisement company that had really good talent because they service casinos. I had another advertising agency want to merge with them because they needed that talent. So people will pay more for that synergy of people. People will pay more if you got a really good product. You know, if if you're in a good industry, a good product, people will pay more Um, for proprietary. So number one in proprietary is branding. How well branded are you? The more well branded you are, the more you'll sell your business for. Who's the biggest brand in the world? Do you know? Uh, Google? Starts with an A. An A. Apple. Amazon? Apple. 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 You would think Amazon. Apple is worth $189 billion. Wow. Just for the brand. That's not including assets, inventory, EBITDA, cash flow, anything else. That's just the brand. So build your brand, build your exit so you can exit rich. The other, the other thing in proprietary, there's six pillars of proprietary. I'll run through them really quickly. The other one is trademarks. Make sure you have trademarks. If you are starting a business or even acquiring a business, you have to make sure that you have a federal trademark, not just a state trademark. Most business owners go out and get a state trademark for the state they're operating in, but they never check the federal database to make sure somebody else doesn't own that federal trademark name. So you could be operating for years and all of a sudden receive a cis and desist letter, assist and desist letter, and you got to stop using that company name. That means you got to start branding all over again. So go spend the $1,500 to $2,000 and trademark your company name. Trademark your slogans. Trademark your podcast name. Like I trademarked Exit Rich. Mm-hmm. You know, I trademarked STGPS. So you got to make sure you get those trademarks. Also, if you have any products, get a patent. Always get patents to protect your IP. 
How, do you ever watch Shark Tank? Yes, of course. Yes. And what do they ask? Do you have a patent? 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they, they want to know that it's protected. So then no, they don't have to worry about outside people coming in and taking it right. over. It increases the value dramatically when you have a patent. And okay. then the other big thing that's, that's valuable um, and proprietary is contracts. People don't realize this. So if you have a manufacturing's contract or just just a distribution contract, you have exclusive rights. Or let's say you're a franchisor and you have a bunch of franchisees and you have franchise contracts. The most valuable contracts of all are client contracts with your customers because when buyers come in to buy a business, they want to make sure it's a business in revenue and that that business is going to stay in revenue. So they like reoccurring revenues. They like um, work in progress. We call it a whip report. So you need client contracts. Here's a caveat to this. Okay. We're selling a business for $60 million. They have 150 contracts. None of them are transferable. Wow. So most business owners don't ever have the two-sentence transferability clause in their contract. And 99% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. So those contracts will not transfer over and it could kill your deal and you could lose this on the sale of your company. That would significantly decrease the value of what you're trying significantly. to sell. That's why I always work with my clients ahead of time to get them to go get that language in there to make those contracts transferable. If you're acquiring a business on the flip side, make sure that the contracts are transferable on the business that you're buying. If you're not, then you might oh. not have that client. Wait, you got to tell me, have you ever seen someone acquire a business and the contracts weren't transferable? They didn't know about it. And then what they thought they bought was valuable, wasn't as valuable as they thought. I've seen it numerous times, but never on my watch. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen on my watch. Right. If I'm representing a buyer, I'm going to make sure that the buyer is getting the contracts. Just awesome. like I'm going to make sure the buyer is getting a non-compete. Just like I'm going to make sure the buyer is getting all the IP. <laughs> So awesome. yeah, that stuff doesn't happen on my watch. Like I said, you can bring me back on and we'll talk about all the things you should look for to protect yourself when you are acquiring businesses. Definitely. Um, and then um, the other thing in proprietary is databases. You know, you could be losing money in your company, but buyers could still be interested in these synergies right now. So right. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. But guess what's that had that Facebook wanted? They had a synergy. They had a billion users. Right. And Facebook knew that they could monetize that and ROI that investment. So very that. important. Okay. And then um, the other thing, I'm real quick, I call this proprietary real estate, IP real estate. This is not your commercial building or your land or anything. This is like, let's say that you have, you have a great skincare line. Right. And you're on Oprah's favorite things and Oprah Winfrey is endorsing your product. Let me tell you how much money a strategic will pay for that. A mm. lot. Let's say that you have a diet company and you've got a celebrity endorsement, you know, endorsing, let's say it's Oprah again, endorsing a right. diet company. Right. You know, mm. they can only really endorse one skincare company at a time or one diet company at a time. Otherwise, it's not credible. Let's right. say that you manufacture bedding and pillows and things of that nature, and you're number one on Wayfair. Right. Your teachers will pay a lot of money for that, okay? So same thing with Amazon. If you got a, a great product and you have a patent protected and you're, you corner the market on Amazon, buyers will pay a lot of money for that. So these, this is how you build a business that buyers want to buy with all of these fees that we're talking about. It, it sounds like proprietary gives you so much leverage as a company if it's, if it's done correctly. If it's done correctly, most business owners don't do it correctly. Right. So you got to do it correctly. That's why everybody needs to go read Exit Rich because Exit Rich tells you everything you should be doing. And so Exit Rich is not just about selling a business. It's about building a business that will be sellable when you're ready. And right. then um, the fifth P is patrons. So patrons are your customer base. Most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. The problem with that scenario is if you lose a couple of clients, you can literally be out of business. So you want to have customer diversification, not customer concentration. Plus, mm. if you've been in business 10, 15, 20 years, your clients could be aging out. Yes. 
So you got to make sure that you, you should yeah. always do what I call aim, aim, always innovate and market because if your clients are aging out and your clients are baby boomers and you're trying to go after millennials, millennials don't buy the same way baby boomers buy. So you need right. to innovate and make sure that you appeal to that sector. I like right. that a lot. Patrons big. The last P and the P that makes us all happy <laughs> and the reason we're all in business is profits, right? right? So everybody wants to make money, but listen to this. <laughs> profits is never the issue. It's mm. never the problem. I have clients that come into me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I say, no, you have a people problem. Right. You have the people problem. You don't have enough people and you're doing everything yourself. So therefore you're not profitable. Right. Or you have a product problem. Your industry is dying. I mean, it's like Blockbuster. Blockbuster saw the writing on the wall when Netflix came in. They actually had the opportunity to buy Netflix and they did nothing. And guess what? They are out of business now. They went bust because they did nothing. So um, if you have a process problem, you're going to lose money. I can promise you, you will lose money if your processes are not streamlined, efficient, and productive. If you haven't protected your IP, your proprietary, you can lose a lot of money. In fact, you could be completely out of business. So profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. If you build your business with these six Ps, you will build a business that lots of buyers will want to buy, hence creating a bidding war, getting you a much higher price than your company. I love I love this. And you're saying all this information is found in Exit Rich. All of this information and more that we haven't even touched is in Exit Rich, like how to evaluate your business, how to normalize your financials, you know, all of this, how to negotiate with buyers, the five different types of buyers and how you negotiate with them. All of this is in Exit Rich. And my co-author, I should mention this, my co-author is Sharon Lecter. She wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She also wrote several books in the Pilling Hill Foundation. Awesome. She was a five-time <laughs> best-selling author because of Rich Dad Poor Dad. And she's a financial literacy expert. She was the advisor to President Obama. And wow. she's an advisor to other presidents as well. She is nice. a CPA and she's amazing. Her husband is an intellectual property attorney. And so I had so after every chapter of my content. Because I've been in the trenches, right? But she mm -hmm. fills in the blanks and she gives the mentorings that she's called the mentoring corner from her. And sometimes her husband will add some, some feedback too. So from her perspective, she gives her, you know, adds her content. So it's really a great, great, great book. I'm really, I am really looking forward uh, to getting my uh, teeth into Exit Rich. Uh, let me know this. What was the inspiration behind Exit Rich? What made you say, you know what? The people have to know about this yeah. book. So that's a great question because I wrote my first book in 2013 called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. And, you know, I, I kept noticing as years went by that more businesses were dropping like flies. More business owners were going out of business. I'm like, why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Why are so many more businesses going out of business? And then when I did the research in 2013, I learned that 85 to 95% of all startups would go out of business, right? 85 to 95% of startups would go out of business. However, when I did the research, when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and 2020, I learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped dramatically. It's not 95% of businesses will go out of business anymore in the first five years. It's only 30% now. So startups wow. are not at great risk anymore. So if your entrepreneurs are listening and say, hey, I want to start a business, more power to you because <laughs> right. the risk is not as great as it used to be. But here's where the risk has shifted. So okay. the business landscape has flip-flopped. Now out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer, 70% of those businesses will go out of business. Seven, zero. 70% do the math. And the problem with this scenario is there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States. Small business employs over half the U.S. workforce. If we start losing small business at the rate of 70%, we're in big trouble because when you lose small business, you lose jobs. When you lose jobs, you lose more small businesses because you lose spending power. 
Right. And so that's what inspired me to write Exit Rich. My passion and mission is to help save one, help save America's economy by saving one business at a time and help business owners build their legacy so they actually can sell for their desired price tag. Okay. So I'm, I'm interested. I want to read Exit Rich. Tell me, how will I be able to find Exit Rich? And then if I uh, go through these pages and I'm, I'm loving everything that I'm reading, how does one end up working with you and collaborating with you? Okay, so two good questions. So we're in the middle of pre-sale right now. So all of your listeners can go to Exit Rich Book. They got to make okay. sure they put Exit Rich Book. A lot of people are putting Exit Rich. You can't do that. You got to put Exit Rich Book. Okay. So they got to go to ExitRichBook.com and they can buy the book right now, DJ. If they buy it right now, they get the book less expensive than after we go to pub date. Plus okay. it's less expensive than on Amazon. So it's $24.79. We will send you, we will email you the digital download so you can start reading it now. And we okay. will send a hard copy to your doorstep. Perfect. Plus, you will receive a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club where I do video training on things that we're talking about right now. And I have documents. So every business needs a stack of documents, organizational charts, employee handbooks, non-competes. You know, sample um, due diligence checklist, sample letter of intent, sample closing docs. It's all in there for your review and your download. Plus, anybody who buys pre-launch will get 30 days membership, free membership into Club CEOs, which is a like-minded entrepreneurial um, company that I founded. Oh, I love this. I love this. This is a lot of goodies. (laughs) Yes, it's a lot of goodies. We got to head over to ExitRichBook.com. Purchase the book. We're going to get the digital copy, the lifetime membership of the book club, and one month free of the club CEO membership. Correct. And then, and also, you know, if anybody says, well, I want to buy like 10 books. I want to give them away as presents or whatever. Right. If they go to bulk, bulk orders at exitrichbook.com, you get more value if you buy more than one book. Okay. Yeah. I will keep that in mind. I will keep that All in right. mind. <laughs> and so how do people collaborate with you and work with you? If they sure. realize, think, wow, this information is next level. I need to have someone on my side like, like Michelle. They, so they can reach out to me. Um, my website is SilerTucker.com. So it's just like my name, SilerTucker.com. Okay. They can also, my phone number's on the website. They can also text me. They can text Michelle to 888 888-526-5750. And then information will pop up as far as my social media and my websites and everything. Thank you so much for that. Are there any uh, final thoughts you have for business owners who may not have done any of this yet? Maybe they've had their business for 10 years. They haven't necessarily done the work. Is it too late for them to get their affairs in order? What, what advice do you give to someone uh, who is listening to, to, to the episode now, you know, unless you're being forced into selling for pennies on a dollar, closing your business or filing bankruptcy, it's never too late. So the, the best advice I can give you is get the book exit rich, get the book, um, go to my website, call me, call my company, call my office, set up a consultation. We do a free consultation. We do mm-hmm. a free consultation, separate consultation. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. I love it's it. It's never too late to start building your business to be a sellable asset. And if you're a startup and you're listening to this, this is perfect because, because you're literally giving them the blueprint. And it's actually easier to do it, DJ. That's a great point because it's actually easier to do it from the beginning yeah. than after you've been in business for 10 years. Because when you've been in business already for 10 years, you got people with bad habits. Mm-hmm. old habits you know a lot of times i mean i've sold businesses that don't even have the internet that don't even right. have a computer we sold a distribution company that had rolodex you know wow. so so startups you know i always say it's always better to acquire a business than it is to start a business because there mm-hmm. are so many good businesses to acquire but if you're starting or acquiring it's never too late to follow the principles and strategies in Exit Rich. And Exit Rich was endorsed by Steve Forbes and the original Shark on Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington, wrote the foreword for us. I love it. I love it. I have one last question. Uh, it's kind of more of a personal side. But when you were first getting into this space, did you ever dream that you would have closed over a, a thousand different businesses, uh, helped all these different businesses sell their business? Uh, worked with all these f- fabulous people. Um, have, did you ever dream 
that you would you be know, able to reach this, this spot? I would like to say yes, but the answer is no. <laughs> I always knew that I was going to do big things. I always yeah. knew that. But, you know, I'm like really working on law of attraction. <laughs> like right. I listen to Bob Proctor every day in my car. Um, and when I, do- I have a 10-year-old daughter, and so I make her listen to it too. But, you know, if I, if I incorporated law of attraction, you know, 25 years ago, God knows where I would be today. <laughs> so I really am starting to incorporate more law of attraction, you know, like, look, I want to be a New York Times bestseller. I want to, you know, have, have this, have that, and, and really incorporate that. But no, I never, because I really wasn't taught that. And I didn't really come from a family of entrepreneurs and I really wasn't taught that. But now, you know, I've spoken on so many stages. I've been around Bob Proctor. I've been around Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, you know, Tony Robbins, all of these guys. Mm-hmm. Les Brown. Les Brown was on my show, on my podcast. And let me tell you something. I tell you, he's like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> I, I, I made like it drinking from a fire hose, but he's definitely like drinking from a fire hose. I love Les. Yeah, I love Les. Yeah, because he came. Oh, my gosh. If you know his story, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing where he came from and where he is today. So I never, never really practiced that like I am now. Definitely. Well, Michelle Siler Tucker, uh, thank you so much for uh, spreading this uh, information to us, uh, letting us know about your book, Exit Rich. We're going to go ahead and uh, head over to exitrichbook.com to learn more and also to purchase your book. And you have an open invitation to come back to How to Acquire Podcast uh, to continue the conversation in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you to our wonderful guest, Michelle Saller Tucker, for stopping by How to Acquire Podcast to give us so much information, the jewels, the gems um, about this topic. I know many of you are business owners and you want to know how to properly exit your business. Well, you just learned. And then we gave you the resources that you can go to right now. Right now. Click the link in the show notes and you can learn about every single thing that we were talking about today. I'm really excited about this conversation because to me, this is foundational. If you can get the the front end right, it's going to make everything so much better during the acquisition process when it's time to sell the business. And if you can understand this, you actually can make sure your, your company is more profitable. And you can get a higher return on the investment and the time that you put into this asset. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast, share this podcast to your network of business owners and investors, and drop us a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, once again, show the show notes. There is a link inside the show notes where you can go ahead and head over and learn more about today's guest. I thank you all for stopping by, and I'll see you on the next episode of How to Acquire Podcasts.